0: Welcome to Gross Anatomy.
1: Lord, are we live? We are
2: live on Gross Anatomy podcast, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture, meaning books, movies, TV, and the world around us.
0: And podcasts.
2: And podcasts sometimes.
0: And I'm Dr. Jason Cohen.
2: Hi. Hi. And I'm Lauren Taylor, and today we have a very special guest. Hi, I'm Nana Mother, everyone.
1: Hi.
0: So, first of all, it's so great to see you and talk to you
1: after how many years? Oh, gosh. I don't... A lot. A lot of years. I was still in my 20s, so... You're not still in your 20s? Come on. Yes, you're right. I forgot. I'm still in my 20s, so it was just yesterday. So
0: part of the reason why I was late right now is Mm -hmm. because... Since you and I met, Cedar Sinai started having a formal pre-med program. That's been that's only going on. It's only seven years old. The formal program. Wow. I run the program. Wow. Tonight was our kickoff for the fall session. So it Mm -hmm. ran a little late. No way. And that's why. And it's perfect that that you're our guest because I was just kicking off the fall session. So. Yes. When you and I met, so you're like so many hyphenates. Uh,
1: I know. Amazing, uh, right? I'll, like, I can explain the point in time in my life, but um you were pre-med. I, I was pre I was pre-med. So I had gone to undergraduate at U, U, um, UCLA and then I did postgraduate work at USC at in a I was part of a post baccalaureate program which is 2 years of all your pre-meds, your organic chemistry, your biology, your your calculus, all the things, even your MCATs, is, those studies are embedded into the, the curriculum. Um, and I did this postgraduate program because, in undergrad, I was a political science major and decided to go to medical school. But in order to apply to medical school, you need these prerequisites. So the program is geared towards undergrads who um, have changed their minds and want to enter into the sciences. It's a condensed very um, intense two years of study, and on the side, um, it's very nice to um, make your resume robust and just to be out in the field to even validate that you want to be in medicine. And so I applied to a program at Cedar sinai and I got to shadow you, and it was just a thrill to work yeah. with you. Great memories. What was I- that? Oh, gosh. You know what? I think it was 2011, maybe. maybe no, maybe earlier. Maybe like 2010, 2011. So 10 wow. years ago. <laughs> and then,
0: and but before that, you were, you were a volleyballer.
1: I was. So, yeah, while I was at UCLA, I um, played volleyball. I was on the volleyball team. I had gone to Duke. My dad was the first African-American to go to the medical school. And so he really encouraged me to go to Duke. And I tried it, but I had my heart set on L.A., especially UCLA. And so I transferred and um, worked really, really hard and became an All-American twice. Um, We made it to the Final Four my senior year. And while I was in the Final Four, I was recruited to play um, professionally. And um, I also got to train a little bit in Colorado Springs for the 2008 Olympic Games. And then after that, after my volleyball stint... um, You You played in the Olympic Games? I did and I trained for them in Colorado Springs. I believe now they train in Anaheim, which would have been probably a more, uh, a better lifestyle, because there's not much in Colorado Springs, no offense. Um, But yeah, I retired soon after that and um, entered into the USC uh, post-baccalaureate program. My daughter was a
0: volleyball player too. (laughs) I remember picking your brain about her volleyball too when you were my student.
1: How old is she now?
0: She's 25 now.
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, <and she's, laughs> That's amazing.
0: Actually, so she actually got recruited to play D1 ball and then decided she didn't want to do it and left.
1: It's intense. Yeah. It's intense. Yeah, right away. Um,
0: she liked, she started the training and was like, I'm done.
1: Yeah. It's a lot. It was it was a lot. But it prepares you for the rest of life. Um, but good for her. Oh, my gosh. It's so crazy. She's 25 now. She's going to play any volleyball? Ah, uh, you know what? No, not really. I'm more now of uh, I love to do yoga. Um, but I do, you know, I did my first half mar- half marathon a couple years ago. I'm back to actually lifting weights, which you know, I did all throughout my training at UCLA. Um, but it's I find it's a better way more like more um, I get more results um, from resistance training so I couple that with my cardio and but you
0: don't miss you don't miss like like getting together with people to play like she's always saying oh I wish I went to go play some beach with friends but she never does
1: I do it's hard though to try and play again Um, I, I, I would love to play with some of my former teammates, but to walk up to like a pickup game, um, it's harder because I don't know. It's it's a different level, but oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I do miss it. I we I was just texting with an old volleyball friend that we all need to have a reunion. So I'll maybe out in L.A. soon um, for a game. You live? You live in New York? <laughs> yeah. So I I moved after uh, my work at USC. I moved back east, and I I've been in New York for about eight years. And um, so I was downtown and got rid of my apartment right before COVID, um, which was kind of good timing. And I was like, oh, I'll uh, be right back. I'm just going to go travel for a little bit. And then 2020 happened and I'm still not back in New York. I do go back and forth, though. Um, like this weekend, I'll be in New York City. But yeah, I'm back east. Where do you stay when you're in New York? You know, I'm from New York. Uh, oh, did I know that? I, I don't didn't know, know that. Me. What part know. did you grow up? I grew up in the city. Oh, my gosh. We switched coasts. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'll hold down the city until you come back.
0: <laughs> okay, cool. But you're downtown, right? You're, yeah,
1: you're- I, I lived, um one street was Chinatown, one street was Little Italy, and Soho was on the top. I miss it. I'll be back.
0: <laughs> Although during COVID, I don't
1: know, right? Yeah. It, yeah, I'm it, I'm actually it was a blessing in disguise that I was like, wait, I need a little change for a second. Let me hit the road. Yeah. Um and I dropped all my stuff at my mom's house in Maryland, like DC area, which is where I grew up. And um I at some point I'll go back to New York City, but um for now, you know. So your dad you said is a doctor? Yeah, my dad is an emergency room doctor. Um, he went to Michigan state undergrad and graduated early in, I think it was in two or three years. And then he went on to Duke. Um, he did trauma medicine, uh, he studied internal medicine and then entered into emergency room. Um, but in the early 1980s, he and my mom, uh, moved to South Africa. My mom was born and raised there and, um, they stayed in a very rural town, right on the border of the Cougar National Park and they gave eight years of pro bono medical and community work and I was born during that time so I was actually born in South Africa in a rural, um, small village out there. Um, and you, how many years did you live there? I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, um, I, they moved us uh, back when I was four years old. And over that whole stand of eight years, they they helped over something like half a million people. So my dad would be in the clinic and my mom would help the women in the community start small businesses and empower them through teaching them how to um, sell their baskets at market, teaching them organic farming and selling their produce. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and what? Those were in the 80s? Yeah. And the, they moved there in 1981 and it was still during apartheid. So because my mom, my, both my parents are black, but because my mom was a native South African and my dad was American, he was considered an honorary white. Um, So he was technically, or they were technically, um, they were in an illegal relationship because um, it's just so many crazy rules. And at the time my mom did not want to go back, but um, they ended up staying even longer than they thought um, because their, their work was um, so profound and moving. What made them leave?
0: Because they didn't want to raise you guys there?
1: Yeah, I think that the schooling, like school was a very, very big part of my parents' upbringing. Uh, I I spoke to my dad that he was the first uh, African-American to go to Duke University Medical School, but he grew up doing civil rights and had nothing growing up. my mother grew up during apartheid, and she too, just because of the color of her skin, had less access to everything. But she used school as a way to better her life and got a United Nations grant to come study in the States. And she has a law degree. She has an MBA. She went to business school, and she's a CPA. So school was like a really big deal uh, to them. And so we moved back to the D.C. area, and they put my brother and my older sister and I in suitable friends, which is... The former school of, you know, it's where all the presidents send their kids. Uh, like Chelsea Clinton went there, the Obama daughters, and Al Gore's son was there. He was in my sister's grade. So they blessed us um, with uh, the gift of academics because it was so big uh, and impactful in their lives.
0: So you let them down by not becoming a doctor?
1: my my dad until recently would still email me like, like medical school applications and be like, "Hey, look, you can apply here. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I'm going anymore. Although I have to say that there still is that part of me that yearns for this knowledge of healing. Um, and it definitely informs um, what I'm doing right now. I've very much taken to herbalism, which was our first medicine that way back in ancient times, like our grandmothers used to go in the, in the forest and find and forage leaves and botanicals that um, were our medicine. And so I've really taken to um, herbalism, which is the, the study of how plants and herbs heal. That's awesome. <laughs> but,
0: and where's your dad? Is your dad still
1: practicing? He is. He's now doing telemedicine. Where's he practicing? Where was he? he was independently contracted so he worked at a lot of different hospitals on the east coast he would travel um where there was need and now he's he's like technologically like he he hated computers he would still write his notes and have like a nurse put them in the computer but now um he he's he has a computer now. He still has a flip phone, um, but he, he's still practicing and it's really good for him because it's keeping his, his mind going. And I think he was annoying my mom too much. And she's like, you need to go back to work. So
0: So do you think that's why you were, you were trying to do the medicine thing? Your dad was kind of really pushing it.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think these, these studies and Um, the way families are, there is some, I think there's something genetic where, you know, these learnings run through is your, is your daughter, um, into medicine at all? No. (laughs) Entertainment. Oh, interesting. Yeah.
0: Modeling, social media, entertainment, all that. My other two mothers are considering it, but she's totally not.
1: Okay. We'll see. Um, I have returned to this, this passion and wanting to, um, heal others, here in my mid mid thirties. So maybe she'll turn around and come back to it. But yes, my father was a really big influence.
0: Yeah. So then what happened after you, like what made you decide, you know what? I don't want to do this.
1: That's great. It wasn't really a decision. It's just my life flowed in a different direction. Um, so while I was studying at USC in my post baccalaureate program for pre-med, I started participating in pageants and, um, my first was Miss Malibu and I just come out of sports. I'd never won makeup. I sewed my dress um, for evening gown and I ended up winning Miss Malibu and which led me on to Miss California. And Miss California is one of the most competitive States. I think there was something like 300 girls I was competing against and, um, I lost,
2: <laughs> but
1: I was hooked and I, and I, competed at uh, California for something like five or six years, never won. I got as high as second place. Uh, and that year, the girl who won is now married to Michael Phelps. So the competition was very... Oh, wow. <laughs> Just thinking
0: you could have married Michael Phelps. I know.
1: That was the prize. And I I lost it. <laughs> um, but uh, on my last try, because you age out at 26... I moved back to Maryland because I was done studying, and I decided to give Maryland a try. And I ended up winning Miss Maryland USA, which led me on to Miss USA. And Donald Trump owned the pageant at the time. And it was a big event. It was live on NBC every year. And there was no Instagram, so everyone would watch this because there's nothing else to do. Um, So we got a lot of coverage and exposure. And in a roundabout way, I ended up winning Miss USA. And that's what led me on to New York. Wow. then they move you to an apartment in New York. um, And Trump Towers a block away. You get emails, your schedule every day, and what you're going to do, and where to meet. Um, And so I lived that life for, and that's how I never went to medical school.
0: You were Miss USA.
1: I
2: was. You knew that, Dr. Cohen. I I was really good at bearing the lead. I'm like she has done so much. Obviously,
0: I knew you did. I knew. I didn't know you. I I knew you were doing that kind of stuff, but I didn't know you were Miss USA. I I apologize.
1: no, I ended up winning.
0: <laughs> what, what, do you remember what question, right? Don't they ask you like some kind of oh, question?
1: Yeah. Great question. I had two questions. I don't remember the last question they asked me, but the first one, I think in some like document, cause you felt so much paperwork or like, maybe I had like an interview somewhere, but they're like, somewhere you said that Angelina Jolie was your biggest role model. Tell us why. And I think my answer was something that I really uh, enjoy how she's, uh, her her kids are so globally minded um, yeah. and it reminds me of how my parents um, really instilled that in us. And then I went on to talk about their philanthropic work. I think, I don't remember, it was a really long time ago, but um, yeah, it was a really, really great experience. I think I am something like the 63rd or 64th Miss USA. Um, and that's what got me into, that's what got me to New York and the East Coast again. Wow.
0: What year was that?
1: 2012. I was Miss USA 2012. Wow.
0: And then since then?
1: Since then. So since then, now Miss USA is when you win, you get like millions of followers and you can sell coffee scrub on Instagram for the rest of your life. Um, but like but Instagram,
0: was, di- Instagram didn't exist back then.
1: It didn't. I was the very first Miss USA on Instagram. And I even went into the office. I was like, you guys, there's this thing, everyone's talking about it. It's called Instagram. Maybe we should get on it. And the office was like, no, we don't need it. Um, but they ended up getting it. And I was the first Miss USA on it. And, um, so I, I needed to find a job after, (laughs) um, it's either you get married or you, uh, make tons of money on Instagram. And my parents were like, you need to get a a real job (laughs) and so i um started looking around the world and um looked for who are the most influential women on earth and you know there's a lot of power in media for example with anna wintour editor in chief of vogue calls anyone to her office they'll show up from a ceo to a celebrity um, to a philanthropist there's power in media and so especially fashion magazines at the time um and so I I wanted I decided I wanted to work in fashion and so I started applying to jobs and no one would hire me and so at the age of 30 I started interning. Again. No one would
0: hire Why why didn't anyone hire you cuz you were overqualified?
1: Um you know the industry can be quite nepotistic in that uh you really need to know someone or you need to be like Queen Elizabeth's granddaughter or yeah. something you know. Um so I had to work my way um from the bottom again and um I interned for about six months and then ended up getting a job in the office of the editor-in-chief at Harper's Bazaar. And so if you've ever seen the movie The Devil Wears Prada, that was... Love it. Yeah. I love that movie.
0: You were <laughs> Anne Hathaway?
1: Yeah, I was Anne Hathaway. That was my life. And there was, that movie runs like a documentary for me. I'm like, wow, this movie's really spot on. Wow. <laughs> but um, yeah, I got to go to Fashion Weeks, um, and you know meet ceos of really big brands you so love like, it i you know, it was a looking back yes it was a great um, experience especially um, you know a lot of people see fashion magazines for the creative but there's it was very interesting to work alongside my editor in chief because she was a wizard at folding in advertising and business into uh, creating content and so i learned what it was to you know pitch a campaign and and ask for millions of dollars and pull that into the magazine without, you know, a consumer really under, like knowing that this page uh, of editorial has thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars embedded in it. So it was a really, really great um, learning experience almost as if it was a business school. And I kind of hit a ceiling though. There really was no room for growth and magazine stints have kind of changed because everything's becoming more online And um, I had hit a ceiling and I looked around the world again and I was like, what are the most full of growth industries? And everyone was talking about this thing called Bitcoin. And I was like, what is this? And so I started self-studying and I applied for a job at a company called Consensus, And it was founded by one of the co-founders of Ethereum, which is the second biggest digital currency behind Bitcoin. And I got the job and that's where I work my day to day. Um, You're still there? Yeah, I'm still there and I, and I do stuff on the side as well. But um, What
0: year was that?
1: This was 2018 when I switched out of magazines and into tech. Okay. And we started as an accelerator, which means founders in the blockchain space would come to us for funding um, and to build their companies. And um, we would give them resources as well as funding. And now we've moved more into becoming a software company where we have core products um, that we market. Do
0: you own? Do you own any Bitcoin?
1: I I know I used to. <laughs> and then I started a startup and had to like get all my money and put it towards this company. But um yeah, it's been that too uh working for consensus has been such a great learning experience in building uh building business as well.
0: Wow. So, and yeah. now now
1: you're now. <laughs> now you're becoming
0: or, or have you always been an an earth person, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I know. I told you I was very into yoga and all the things. Um, so that all started also in 2018, right when I, I switched jobs. I had read my horoscope. Um, and this was actually, I guess, the fall of 2017. I read my horoscope and it was like, you should go see a doctor. And so I was like, okay, so I went to the doctor's office and Um, she let me know that I was on the precipice of being pre-diabetic, which was insane to me. I was in my early thirties and, you know, I was eating healthy, but in American standards, if you're really not mindful about, you know, food, um, there's a lot of added sugar to a lot of the foods we eat and I wasn't aware of it and it was affecting my blood chemistry, And it led me to start asking questions like, okay, so how am I really supposed to be eating? Like, what is a carbohydrate? I mean, I learned this in school, but like the practicality of like day-to-day of like, like I need to be more mindful of the foods I'm eating and how to eat, which led me on to how am I supposed to be working out? Which led me on into these like really existential, like, what are we doing here on earth? What is the meaning of life? (laughs) Um, And so for the year of 2008- Did you figure it out? I did. (laughs) Oh. The answer is- I don't know. <laughs> um, Always it's, our it's, answer. Yeah. It will be a lifelong journey and um, seeking of this knowledge. But for the whole year of 2018, I, I wrote a wellness blog. Um, and the, the the premise was um, what makes for great health and happiness. You know, I had, I had done all these things. And uh like Miss USA, I was an elite athlete, I'd worked at Harper's Bazaar, all these things, yet I still was not happy or you Shadowed Dr. Cohen. I shadowed Dr. like that was the highlight of my life. Right, exactly. And you know, so I took week by week and I, I studied what is meditation, like what is sugar, what does it do to you? Over the whole year, I ended up healing my blood chemistry. Um, and also healing my mind and it, and I entered into this whole, um, lifestyle of, of indulging in wellness and really learning about myself.
0: That's awesome. That's (laughs) awesome. And now, and now you have some new really interesting venture going on, eh?
1: Yeah. So out of that whole year, that was how I encountered herbalism and this knowledge that, you know, for years ago, centuries past, uh, herbs and botanicals were our medicine. And within that study, there's something called herbal wine. It's a cousin to kombucha and mead in that we used to make wine out of plants, like um, botanicals and herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And it was such a surprise to me that this hadn't hit market, especially because you know our, our food now, a lot of people looking for functionality and low calorie, low sugar, all this. And so I decided to bring herbal wine to market. Um, I started a company called Kale. We make wine out of flowers in Napa at super low alcohol, sugar, calories, and low sulfites as well. And our first release is hibiscus wine. And this fall, we'll be releasing a marigold flower wine. So I'm in the flower wine business as well.
0: <laughs> is it, you have a question, Lauren, or no? I have.
2: Yeah. So, where can you get this? Cause I want to try it.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll just send you guys a bottle. Don't worry about it. I um, we started, we launched direct to consumers, so you can order it online um, okay. at drinkkale.com, and kale is spelled C-A-L-E. So okay.
0: Yeah. But wow. how the heck? How the heck did you say? Let me make. Are are you a wine enthusiast or like? How did you even come? Like, wh- where did that idea even come from?
1: know so what's drawing to me is more the herbs and botanicals versus the wine because you know wine the wine industry can be very um much like fashion very closed off and um so this is like a new iteration of that a new but ancient way to make wine and um I'm reintroducing it I actually you know tried to find uh because I have to produce this not in my kitchen. Um, but <laughs> so I had to find a, a winemaker and I got a lot of no's because this this industry can be very um, closed to innovation. Um, but I luckily found a winemaker that I love working with. And um, yeah, it's, it's basically out of the love and knowledge of herbalism that this um, was born out of. And also through my wellness journey, if I had not started asking questions about health and happiness i never or maybe it would have taken a longer time but it's it's directly out of that year where i was trying to heal myself through writing and how
0: long did it take you from idea to product
1: Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I got this idea while sitting in a tree on a permaculture in Costa Rica, permaculture farm in Costa Rica. Um, I had gone on the tail end of 2018 to this, um,
0: What's this- a permaculture
1: Permaculture farm. is, um, it's a, it's a different way of growing your food in that you really try to work with the land. Um, and like on this property, you know, all of the plants around had stories and you know, the owner of the, the, the property would take us around and be like, if you brew this, it'll heal your headache or mash this and take it in the mornings to, I don't know, it's an aphrodisiac. There's just so many properties and plants and he would take me around and teach me about this. And while I was sitting in a tree, I was like, wow, I really love this stuff, there's something here. And so I came back to New York and started apprenticing with herbalists. Um, And then I, I learned about herbal wine, and it's spun out of there. And so I started.
0: Wait, wait, wait. What's a, how do you find an herbalist to apprentice with? Like, how does I that?
1: <laughs> it's kind of like how do I find a Jason Cohen to apprentice with? <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing. I I will forever be an apprentice. I love learning. Um, But I yeah, herbalists still exist, and in fact, it's it's. I think that it's very much. Um, there's a lot of, you know, Chinese medicine and that counts also within this umbrella of herbalism that, you know, to treat chronic illness, I think there's, you know, instead of going full on into medication and I need to be careful here, but um, there are plants and herbs that can be really helpful. But like, if my arm falls off, please take me to your office (laughs) and sew it back. So I think there's a way to marry these ancient learnings with modern medicine. Um, But I, I, you know, Googled it and found herbalists all over the city and in the Catskills. And of course, in Costa Rica, I I, um, followed around some herbalists, but um, it's, it's women, especially who work with plants and botanicals as ways to um, heal.
0: I think I saw a post of yours on Instagram with you visiting some herbalists in the Catskills.
1: Yes, definitely. I just was um, with Susan Weed, who's an old an old school crone herbalist and she taught me um, a lot about the art of fermentation, which was such a great it was such a great course. Uh, it was a, about, it was a day trip and um, she taught us how to make um, fermented milk and um, she taught us herbal wine making as well. Um, and different forms of fermentation, because before refrigeration, we would ferment everything. And it was really, really, good, it's really good for your gut as well, because of the microorganisms and also through fermentation a lot of nutrients become more bioavailable. And so, um, she is one who is a great teacher in, um, and I learned so much in how to ferment things. So now in my, in my my mother's kitchen, we started fermenting things and like I've made my own yogurt now, um, and buttermilk and all this stuff. It's it's fermentation is fun. Herbalism is fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah. How does the wine taste?
1: I'll have to send you a bottle. So herbs and botanicals, Taste are they ferment and express differently than wine grapes. So um, we're very familiar with wine grape wine, um, but herbs and botanicals, they have complexity and structure and it's it's beautiful and fun to see, especially the hibiscus. Um, gives off uh, really uh, floral aromatics at first. So the experience even begins before you taste. And then hibiscus is characteristically tart. So you get a little bit of that. If you're a really big fan of natural wines, this will be for you um, in that uh, it has a very raw, clean palate. And then our marigold flower wine that we're releasing as well. It's super earthy. There's notes of apples and pears. It's a white wine and the hibiscus wine is a red wine. Um, And I like to call them my weekday wine because they're so low in alcohol, sugar, and calories. It's like it's Tuesday night and you need a respite, but you have 7 a.m. meetings or 7 a.m. yoga. um, It's nice to have a glass um, so you can still be social, but healthy and productive uh, in the morning. (laughs)
0: Lauren, I'm not a wine drinker. Are you, Lauren?
2: Yes, I do. But I I do worry about like the calories and the sugar, too. Like I get tested every year and I'm not pre-diabetic, but I am still in shock that you were like, you're the fittest person. Like I watched your Miss USA video. Like you're the fittest person I've ever
1: seen. Like, yeah, that, I, that was I, a shock. I was probably predisposed to it, uh, genetically. And which is to say it's, it's super important that you go to your physicals every year and that you educate yourself uh, on what's going on in food in America or in the West in general, that you don't really know what's being put in your food. There's definitely hidden sugars in there. And that's why I think also like trends like keto have really sprung, sprung up because people are starting to question, um, food and food. I think is such, it's such the basis of health. Um, if you take care of yourself and your nutrition, um, a lot is cured or, uh, you're preemptively, um, solved for so that you don't develop disease in your thirties if you're eating well. And a lot of people just don't know how to eat, Mm -hmm. Um, especially because our foods as well are so lacking in nutrients. We're pretty much eating empty calories when you can pack your meals with highly nutrient dense foods and it becomes your medicine and your body, you know, it feeds itself, but it also fortifies um, your immune system. So um, it's kind of a blessing that um, I was almost sick because if I wasn't, I would have just kept eating the way I was. And, you know, by 45, maybe even gotten like cancer. But now I'm well aware of, you know, food and how it affects health. So it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. What do you eat for dinner? i'm actually visiting my friend and we had meatballs um yeah we had meatballs <laughs> <Okay>. um,
0: <laughs> so you're not going
1: plant-based
0: or anything like that
1: you know what i go in and out and um what i find when i go plant-based is it's it's very hard to what did you say
0: you love in and out
1: no 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 you go in i go in and out
0: oh, okay okay <laughs>
1: I go in and I know paradox. I eat in and out. No. Um, uh, when I go plant-based, um, my, my carbohydrate intake goes up. I go in and out of being plant-based for maybe like two weeks I will be. And then I'll like switch over to really healthy meats, um, just to make sure I'm like getting enough protein and all this. But, um, I do eat a majority plants. Like my day starts I intermittent fast, so I don't really eat until 11 a.m. or noon. And my day starts with a huge salad with, um, you know, greens, of course, um, beans, uh, seeds, uh, mushrooms, onions, uh, garlic, just like a huge salad of stuff, nutrient-dense stuff. Um, and it usually keeps me really full. And I try to eat um, by my dinner by 7 And that will usually be some sort of like maybe salmon, if I'm plant-based, maybe like a tofu. And um, I love ancient grains. If you're going to do a carbohydrate, those are really nutrient-dense carbs versus just like an empty rice. Um, So yeah, I'm very mindful. I love how food really is the basis of health. And I've really, really dug into that.
0: How how do you, as someone who's so in touch with nature, how how do you like being... Do you have trouble being in New York?
1: I, you know what? I find a way to go hug some trees. Um, (laughs) I'm very, very in and I travel a lot. I'm very in and out and I make sure to balance. Um, Yes, I I do think another uh, detriment of, of, of health um is that we're not spending enough time outside um I'll, i will try and find parks and or go upstate and take my shoes off and run around barefoot um because there is some something that seeps into you when you're deep in nature it, it, it kind of like calms the nervous system um where all day in the city you're probably just full of cortisol and stress so i definitely try to balance
0: i want to talk a little bit more about the wine um sure. So what, what would you say, Just cause I'm so curious about it. Yes. If you had to say it tastes like, could you, could you say it tastes like, like, what would you say it tastes like?
1: So the hibiscus wine tastes like a natural wine. I'm not sure if you've had natural wines, but
0: um, yeah.
1: there are over some or close to 80 FDA approved chemicals and dyes and sugars and chem, like wine is not just mashed up grapes put in a pot and bottled anymore. Um, And because the alcohol industry, you don't have to put ingredients on the labels. A lot of consumers don't know there's other things in wine. Um, And so the natural wine movement is uh, a return to just making wine out of as minimal ingredients as possible. And so they do taste different than your commercial wine that you buy at Target or whatever, (laughs) Um, in that they are very earthy and raw. Um, And in general, herbal wines are, as I I mentioned this earlier, they're a cousin to kombucha. So there's going to be a lot of, Herbaceousness to it. Mm. Um, it is not just straight up going to taste like wine grape wine. Um, there are.
0: Do you like sugars. drinking kombucha?
1: I do, uh, although I, I I mind the sugar. Often kombucha can have sugar. Right,
0: in it. right.
1: Uh, so I
0: think it's kind of funky.
1: Yeah, they're fi- exactly those. When kombucha hit market, it it was not of the American palate and it took some getting to, used to. And now it's proliferated, it's, it's everywhere. Um, and the same with herbal wines, they're not necessarily going to taste like um, a commercial wine grape wine.
0: But I don't love the taste of wine either. You know, it's not my yeah. kind of thing. Yeah,
1: would, no worries. <laughs> would,
0: would I, no, would I, if I liked wine, would I like the taste of your product or does it doesn't, or not necessarily, or who knows?
1: It, it just depends on your palate. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of palates are drawn more to sugary things or more to sour, bittery things. Um, I wouldn't, I would compare these more to like a kombucha than a wine grape wine. But um,
0: what about like, does it taste like scotch or does it taste like you know, tequila or taste you
1: know, like- Not like a spirit. It's more um, herbaceous, like a, an herbal... Kombucha would be, um, and uh, the marigold flower wine I, is is it's a white wine, and that has more characteristics, I guess, of a of a traditional commercial white wine. Um, but still, there's like some florals in there that you can't um, get out of just wine grapes. So um, they're very how, unique. And how
0: come no one else is? How come you're the first person doing this?
1: I know. That's why I was so surprised. You know, herbalists do make these. Um, so you'll find um, very niche um, women and men making them, um, but no one has really uh, set out that I found, and pardon me if there are um, uh, people trying to make this into uh, a modern marketed thing. Um, But I think it's quite a great time to introduce these because people are so in love with the power of herbs and botanicals and functional foods and adaptogens and medicinal mushrooms that you can now have them in wine form. Why did you name it kale? So kale is an allusion to the vegetable that once stood for wellness. (laughs) Um, So I just took the K out, put the C and called it a day.
0: (laughs) Are you going to try to make wine from kale, though? Is that kind of the thought?
1: It tastes good, but I I am going to do different, you know, heard of elderberries. You can make elderberry wine, elderflower wine reishi mushroom wine. Um, we're looking to do a rose petal wine. But what happened was um, just a few herbs have uh, survived, especially Germany, um, really, quote, purified what uh, could be made out of uh, beer and, and wine. And what survived is hops and beer. For example, hops is, is an herb. It's a sedative. That's why sometimes when you drink really hoppy beer, you'll get a little tired or like, you're like, Oh, this is really chill. It's because hops is a, and the alcohol, of course, but hops is a sedative and that's pretty much one of the only herbs to have survived. But before that we were fermenting all sorts of herbs and botanicals. So I'm reawakening that tradition.
0: That is so cool. Is it, does it cost more or less of the same, you know, to make?
1: Oh, to make um, great question. You know, I I never was a like a commercial traditional winemaker, but wine grapes and that and the wine industry can be very um expensive an expensive place to be. So at least I'm working with herbs that. Um, you know, are more accessible. Uh, But yeah, business building is very interesting thing. And um, I'll be raising money next year. And I have learned a lot from my day job and how to, you know, budget and, you know, do campaigns and all this. It's quite a it's been quite a learning experience building business. But
0: why do you think so many people said no to you at first?
1: I mean it's it's anything when you're trying to do something new or like get go into uh an industry you've never been in, um People are going to say no until you start learning and uh, forming relationships. For example, when I tried to work in fashion, I got a lot of no's. When I started playing volleyball, a lot of colleges said no. Um, but it's 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 you, the grit and perseverance and um, your ability to be adaptable um, and to change given feedback. Uh, that I, I don't know. I think that's what's helped me accelerate in my life. Is I don't take no for an answer. I find that. Awesome. <laughs>
0: that sounds, so, um, since the pre med program just started up again, yeah. um, one of the things we tell all our students is that we consider it a major success if the student realizes after shadowing they don't want to be a doctor, you know, and they want to do something else. So, did I'm curious, did the shadowing okay. help you decide one way or the other to go into medicine, or, it, or was just happened to have been after?
1: Um, I still, yes, I still talk of my time with you at Cedar Sinai. Um, it was so formative and um, even better than being in the classroom because it, it just reinstilled in me that I wanted to become a doctor and be in, in the healing arts. It, it's beyond the classroom, but seeing it in real life was really, really helpful and moving um, and then, of course, my life just took me in another direction. But still, those days in science and, and following you and for my day-to-day now, all winemaking is Is an application of biology and chemistry so i am still doing it in a different way um and and you were very influential and my time you know it all the things that we we do amass and uh you know lead you to where you're supposed to be um but who knows maybe i will end up being a doctor i do different things so
0: so i I should call your dad and tell him to keep sending you applications
1: (laughs) yeah gosh he'd be thrilled (laughs) oh no don't call him
0: (laughs) and then where is where is your uh your wine operation
1: sure so we produce out of napa and we're direct to consumer so um we ship yeah so
0: it's in california
1: yeah we we make wine out of napa so anytime i'm in la i'm gonna or anytime i'm in napa i usually couple it with a trip to la so i'll come say hi
0: you better come say hi
1: yes oh yeah Yes. And also hi to your students.
2: <laughs> thank That'd you so awesome. much for being on this podcast. We've taken up more than forty-five minutes of your time, but you're amazing, and I can't wait to try yeah. your wine. So thank you so much.
0: Me too. I'm really, really excited for you. Thank you. I can't wait thank to. I love following you on Instagram. It's uh,
1: you too. <laughs>
0: thank you. Thank you. Thank Stay you. in touch.
1: Definitely. Thank you both.
0: Okay. Yeah, oh, wait. wait. One, one final question. Oh, one one final question. Yes. Do you? Watch and we forgot to ask her. Are are you watching anything now or or what's your um, you know?
2: We usually end with like what entertainment
1: like are you yeah. right okay. now? Okay, so I'm super nerdy. I seldom watch television. Um, I don't even We're reading. I, yeah. yeah, I'm obsessed with books. Um, I just read the celestine prophecy. Um, I just finished the Four Agreements um yeah i'm a huge book nerd i think i'm going to read the alchemist again next and a lot of my books are really like deep and into like what is the meaning of life because i'm trying to still figure it out so (laughs) full circle we were talking about earlier but yeah i'm I'm super into books versus tv shows (laughs) that's okay that's a good
2: recommendation thank you the alchemist
0: i agree I agree. Yeah. Nana, thank you so much. Oh,
1: Great seeing
0: you. you. Great catching you up.
1: There. Yay. Thank you guys. Nice to meet you. It's been a long time. Thank you. Too. I know.
0: Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.